really good to be here again. I was I missed you all last week, and uh, uh, enjoyed listening to the recording of Michelle Scott. And I'm so blessed to hear that you were blessed by her as well. So that was absolutely great. And I know that she did Hebrews 4 and she did verses 1 to 10, I think, or 1 to 11. And we're going to kind of pick up from verse 11 and we're going to continue on this whole theme of God um, wanting us to enter into his rest. You see, uh, do you remember the very beginning of Hebrews? We said that Hebrews was about better things. And we said that Hebrews was about confidence, having confidence in God. And we also said it was a book written to Jewish people who were used with all the Old Testament stuff, all the laws and the regulations and all of that. And we also said that throughout the book of Hebrews that it keeps repeating these two words, let us. And so this morning we're going to talk about three things that God says, let us. And if he says, let us do something, then we can be sure that these three things are important for us to do. And so we're going to read uh, verses uh, 9 to 11 of Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, here is what it says. It says, um, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. We'll read the next verse as well. Let us therefore... Be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now that's, uh, you know, as I was preparing for this over the past few days, I've been really conscious that Hebrews is a really difficult book. Would you agree that some of this language is quite difficult? And yet I have been so encouraged I believe just the Holy Spirit's been really encouraging me to press in because I believe God wants to make it simple this morning. And I believe God wants to make it relevant. And I believe that these truths in the book of Hebrews are absolutely vital for us to get a hold of. Because we're living in a world where people are for, really don't know the scriptures. I don't know if you watch any of these quiz programs on television. And they ask a question about the Bible and they haven't got a clue I mean, the Bible knowledge across our land is unbelievable. And there are such amazing things in the book of Hebrews that God wants us to get a hold of. You see, there is a rest in God. The Sabbath rest was a physical rest, but it was also a spiritual rest. And this first let us is saying, let us be diligent to enter into God's rest. Let me read it to you from the Amplified. It says, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves. You see, when we, when we, when we don't believe God, when we turn away from him, we can't enter into the rest. And really, as Michelle said last week, this rest that's being talked about is really the rest of salvation. Now, I wanted to read to you just a couple of things from a wee book called Words from the Fire. It's about the commandments. And it just says that God himself warns those who will not hear and heed his word that they will not enter into his rest. The Old Testament points to a rest that is beyond the seventh day rest. 
It's beyond the Sabbath. It's a messianic complete fulfilment in Christ. And Hebrews says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the writer of the Hebrews is speaking of the promised Sabbath rest, which is the rest of salvation. There's a couple of things I just want to read here that maybe might help you. Because when we get saved, we realise we can't work to save ourselves. And we all agreed on that. We can't, it says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So we can't work and we can't labour to enter into salvation. And, and this is what uh, this rest is. Rest, in the truest sense, is salvation. It's entering into a rest that what God says, when, he, that he, when God says that he sent his son to die for your sins, that he spoke the truth and you can rest upon what God said that Jesus paid for your sins, end off. If you accept that, if you believe God, that you have entered into that rest. And it goes on to say here, we cannot work for our salvation. And we have to come to a point of resting from all our labours, from all our efforts to be saved by our works. We may only rest in Christ, and in Christ we will find a total rest. We cease from our own labours to try and save ourselves. The Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ and is tied to belief, to believing. There is a promise of entering the rest of salvation when we're, as we're told to rest from our works as God is from his. And the last week comment says, this is a breathtakingly beautiful portrait of our salvation, the Sabbath. And we're justified by faith and not by works. And so we see, as we start off today, that the Sabbath rest is just what Michelle said last week. It's talking about a physical rest because the Jews, you know what? God gave them this day, the Sabbath, to be a day when they could rest physically, but also a day when they could rest spiritually. And so we can only enter into the truth of our salvation by faith. We believe what God says. We believe that we're saved, not by our efforts, but because Jesus died on the cross for us. And we receive it as a free gift. It's not by works. It's a gift from God. And this is how we enter into salvation. But you see, as we go on in our walk with God, after we get saved, there's lots of things that come into our lives that would disturb that rest. Would you agree with me? Lots and lots of things would come in to disturb that rest and to try and bring in disrest into your soul, unrest, that's better, I think this rest isn't the word of it, unrest into your soul. And so God wants, I believe, to speak to us this morning about not only salvation, entering into the, the rest of salvation, but he wants to speak to you and to me about entering into that rest for all the other stuff that goes on. When all those other anxieties come around you, when all that trouble and discouragement, when all that disappointment when all the trouble comes, God wants you and me to be able to press into a rest that's real. And you see, the, the book of Hebrews, and the, this book was written to Jewish people, and, and God was, was telling them that the Sabbath rest that they were given in the Old Testament was only pointing to a rest that Jesus was going to fulfil. And so we're going to look just briefly a little bit about this um, 
about the Jews and about the Sabbath rest that they had. Because, you see, the Jews were constantly labouring to make themselves acceptable to God. And God, uh, you know, they had a whole list. In fact, they kept adding to this list of do's and don'ts. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how this religious side of us will, will start to make up all the do's and don'ts? And, you know, the, the amount of stuff that they added onto what God said is unbelievable. The do's and don'ts that the Jews had. They were always trying to please God. But central to all of those laws and all of the sacrifices that God gave them, God gave them the gift of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was one day in the week that they could rest. Now I want to just explain to you a little bit about what that means for, in modern day Israel. And not only in Israel, but for Jews throughout the world. You see, every seventh day on the, on the Friday evening, because to the Jewish person, and, and biblically as well, the, the day starts the night before. So when, whenever nightfall comes on the Friday evening, they enter into a Sabbath that continues Friday night and all day Saturday up until Saturday evening. And apparently they need to see three stars and then they realise that Sabbath's over. But you and I would look at that as being, you know, and really I was brought up to believe that the Sabbath was really strict. You know the way our background, you don't do this and you don't do that. And it was a day that was kind of nearly a day to be dreaded with all the, all the don'ts. But you see, God meant it as a gift to his people. That actually it was a day. You see, they'd just come out of, of Egypt. They'd come out of slavery. They were on their way to the promised land and they'd just come out of slavery whenever God took Moses up the mountain and gave him the commandments. And the fourth commandment was to keep the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And it was a gift to them. Because God was saying, you're not slaves anymore. You don't have to work 24-7 anymore. I'm giving you one day a week off. One day a week to rejoice in who you are and to relax and have a family time and to think about me and to get your roots back into me again. It was a beautiful day. It was a gift from God. And the Jews, you know, throughout their history, at times they've, they haven't been good at keeping the Sabbath. But really, really, it's the Sabbath that has kept the Jewish people together. And in fact, they would actually say, that it's not so much that the Jews have kept the Sabbath, but the Sabbath has kept the Jews. Because throughout all their history of being scattered across this planet, coming together on a Friday evening and having family times and remembering their history, because the Old Testament said that the, the Sabbath day was to rest and to remember. And so because over all these hundreds of years, Every Friday night, Jewish people all over the world get together in their family. The mother of the house lights the Sabbath candle. And, you know, from lunchtime, two or three o'clock on the Friday afternoon, they're getting ready to get away from work because God gave them a day of rest. At a time way back in biblical times, whenever only people who were rich or powerful, only people who were, you know, in, in, in some kind of prominent position could actually get leisure time. God gave his people, his own people, who were just ordinary people, labourers. He gave them this concept of leisure and of coming into relaxation and family time. He gave them a day off whenever that was unheard of in every other ancient culture at that time. Isn't our God amazing that he wants us to rest? And I know that last week that Michelle encouraged you, and I'm so glad I've heard people saying that they've taken time to rest physically over the past week, and I say yes to that, because we need to learn how to rest physically. We need to know how to, when we're tired, to take time aside. 
We need to know whenever we're wrung out and it's time to put our feet up and rest. Jane and William and I had really bad colds. Jane took it first, real bad dose. Then William, he came in, and then I took it last week. And we were just wrung out, and we were just, we'd been running, we were so busy. And last Saturday night, I said to Jane, do you know what? I think God's saying, we'll take a Sabbath rest tomorrow. And you know, the three of us just stayed more or less in our gym jams all day. And we'll watch the live stream and we'll listen to Emmanuel and we'll listen to the message and all on Sunday morning. That live stream's great. You can sit at home. Now, don't I tell you to sit at home. But I'll tell you, we sat up on the settee and we listened to all that was going on and we were going, yes, yes. But we had a Sabbath rest and, you know, it set us up for the week. Just set us up. And there's times when you need to be good to yourself and you need to take some physical rest. Do you agree with me? But there's also a spiritual rest. And God wants you and me to enter into a new level of spiritual rest. And I believe that with all my heart. But the Jews, they, they, they really treasured this day. And nowadays, and we've been to Israel many times, and at, at lunchtime or after lunch on a Friday afternoon, they're all thinking about the Sabbath. In fact, they would tell you the Jewish mind is counting down every day is a day before the Sabbath. If it's, if six days, five days, four days and they count the days before and they count the days after because the Sabbath is central to their week and after lunch on Friday they come home and I've written in your books here that when they're getting home for their Sabbath, they call it Shabbat and when they come home the mood is like preparing for the arrival of a special beloved guest the Jews, they clean the house the family bathes and dresses up the best dishes and tableware is set. A festive meal is prepared, and in addition to everything that, and in addition everything that can't be done on the on the Sabbath on the next day, they have to set it up in advance. To them, Saturday the Sabbath is a day of rest and spiritual enrichment, and this day of rest has no parallel in any other civilization. Because in ancient times, it was unheard of for ordinary people to have time off. It was God's idea. And God gave them the Sabbath shortly after he delivered them from the slavery in Egypt. Now, I love this. I just love it because when I was over in Israel with my friend a few years ago, we did a wee Shabbat meal the night before. And if you're in hotels or whatever, they all have... It's, the Friday night is a Shabbat meal. And in the, in the homes, in the ordinary homes, the mother of the house lights the Shabbat candles and welcomes the Sabbath and says a blessing over the household. Can you imagine what that meant down through the centuries when the Jews were scattered across this planet, when they were under persecution, that they still kept that time, even though they didn't understand the truth of the gospel as we know it. They still held on to this, this gift that God, their father, had given to them. And you see, their focus, even today, religious Jews, as they prepare, do you know what they do? I mean, they go a bit OTT, or not just a bit, plenty OTT. Do you know what they do? They've taken this so literally that when it comes to the Friday afternoon and they go home and they're getting everything ready, they take the lights, the bulbs, out of the fridge. Because when you open the fridge door, the light comes on automatically. And that constitutes as work. Because they are remembering that after God had created the heavens and the earth, he rested. And so there are special things that constitute as work. Anything that's creative constitutes as work. There's a list of do's and don'ts. 
And so they can't open, they have to take the bulb out so no light comes on. And whenever we were in Israel, we noticed it particularly last year because you can sort of see the wee ways that they're trying to get in around it to make it a bit easier. <laughs> because we only realised this last year, we were hopping onto this lift on the, on, the, on the Friday night or the Saturday morning and we couldn't understand why the lift was stopping at every, at every floor. And I actually was caught out of it because I thought I'd arrived at my floor and I hopped out and was running around looking for it and realised it was on the wrong floor. And you see, do you know what it was? We were on the Shabbat lift. The lift stops at every floor so that nobody has to press a button. Because pressing a button, <laughs> pressing a button constitutes as work. Do you see how far the, how far-fetched they've gone? And whilst there's a lot of beautiful things about the way the Jews remember the Sabbath, because they do have a family time. They do spend time eating together and remembering. And they do spend, they talk over the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They discuss it, they talk about it, talk about God. They remember their history. It's a beautiful time in so many ways, but they've gone OTT. They've missed it. They've missed the reality of it, that God gave them the Sabbath because Jesus was going to complete the Sabbath, that they could enter into a rest of salvation for their souls that there's no other way of entering into. Do you see how they missed it? Do you see how easy it is for us to get caught up on the do's and don'ts? How easy we can miss God's rest because we're striving and we're labouring and we're trying to do this right and do that right and and then, you know, we're, we're just not enjoying it. And so God wants us He wants us to know that there is a physical rest that God wants us to enjoy. He doesn't want you wrung out. He wants you rested and ready and and, and raring to go to be his woman on this planet. But also there's a spiritual rest. He wants you to enter into the joy of being his daughter. And and you see, the thing is that our, our first let us says... Let us be diligent to enter into God's rest. Why do we have to be diligent? Because just like you don't get saved, you know, you don't just float into salvation, do you? You have to make a conscious decision. You have to decide intentionally, I want to get saved. I want to get right with God. You've got to realise that you're a sinner. You've got to come to God and ask him for his forgiveness and ask him to come into your life. You've got to do something consciously. You've got to be diligent if you're going to get saved. And in the same way, if there's troubles going on, if you're, if you're feeling disturbed and feeling disappointed or discouraged or whatever's going on, whether you're facing a big problem like sickness or financial problems or relationship problems or marriage problems, whatever it is that's disturbing you, you have to be diligent about pressing into God's rest. There's, there's a pushing and a pressing into it, which means believing. It's not something physical. It's a choice to believe that God will take care of that. Let me read to you what Joyce Meyer said. We have to get, haven't spoken about Joyce for a long time. I have to give her a wee bit of a run here. She says, Rest is freedom from excessive reasoning, struggle, fear, inner turmoil, worry and frustration, which develop because of our working to do what only God can do. How often we're trying to work out our problems, trying to sort that out. She goes on to say, being in God's rest is not necessarily resting from physical activity, but it's resting in confidence in the midst of everything that goes on in life. It's a rest of the soul where the mind, will and emotions are at peace. Even though everything's going haywire, we have entered into a place of peace and rest. 
Put your hand up if you've ever experienced that, because I've experienced that. When everything's going wrong and you've felt it and you've known, you're all churned up. And somehow God helps you by his Holy Spirit to begin to believe that God will take care of it. To begin to believe God can deal with this problem. This is not too big for God. And there is actually a, a diligence, a decision, a choice to press into that place of believing God. And not only believing God, but being obedient to God. The trouble with the Israelites was they didn't believe that God had good things for them. That's why they stayed in the wilderness. And we talked about that a few weeks. That's why they went round and round in circles in the wilderness, because they stopped believing that God was going to bring them into a good land. Do you remember we spoke about the giants? They saw only the giants. They didn't believe that God could defeat the giants. And they were disobedient. It's always unbelief and disobedience are always the two things that will stop you from going into the rest that only God can give you. And God wants us to believe him that he is more than able to defeat the giants in your life, whatever they might be. And when you choose to believe that, and then you choose to to obey God and step into the promises and, and choose to believe the promises, everything changes and God brings you into what he wants to bring you. And you see, as these verses go on here, we're going to see that God has given us all that we need to work this out. I love Philippians 2 and 12. It says, work out your salvation. Because once you get saved, you've got to work it out. You've got to put it into practice. You've got to experience not only entering into the rest of salvation, which is a wonderful gift from God that your sins are forgiven, but you've also got to practice and, 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 and choose to push through whenever other problems come. Because once we get saved, it's not the end of our problems. Anybody know that? (laughs) This world is a very scary place. And there are lots of bad things going on. And we are living in a war zone. And we're going to face problems. But God wants us to actually get good at working out our salvation, at practicing this entrance into the rest that God has promised us. God wants us to believe him. He wants us to choose to believe him and to move through our feelings, get past our feelings. No matter what you feel, you've got to, you've got to trust God. Now, last week, I had, I had a wee incident that happened that disturbed my peace. And I, I'm not even going to tell you what it was. I'm sure you're all wanting to know what it was. <laughs> it was something that just annoyed me. And I felt that God had, you know, I felt he had, he had shown me something and I felt I'd been obedient. And I somehow was disappointed because it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. Does anybody sort of identify with that? And I was very, very discouraged. And I'll tell you the honest truth. This past few days, I'm no different to you. Like, I mean, I'm just the same as you are. I struggled for a few days and I lost my peace. And I was so discouraged and I was saying, God, I want to press into this rest, but I can't know how to get to this rest. And you know, just really, even preparing for this, just realizing that there is a, we need to be diligent. There are times when the enemy will try to disturb your peace and bring discouragement and, and all kinds of negative feelings to you that would just rob you of your peace and your rest in God. Do you agree with me? 
And you know, this past few days, I've just had to say, you know what, God, I am, and I've repeated it, I'm choosing to believe in you. I'm choosing to believe. And you know, in the midst of it, somewhere I felt like God whispering to me, don't worry, I'll work it around for good. I'll make you a better woman out of it. That's a good one to say, isn't it? Just felt like God, you know, I'll make you a better woman out of it. Don't you worry, just you leave that with me. And that's what God wants us to do. And I have discovered that every time I lose my peace like that and I have a bit of a battle going on, I have discovered that God actually brings me into a better place. Do you agree? Because he uses even the bad things to bring us into a better place with him. And so uh, I've written down a wee quote here from Matthew 11, which is talking about entering into that rest. I just love this. When we choose to believe God, when we stop listening to our own feelings, when we start saying to God, I don't care what I feel right now, I want to choose to believe you, something happens that gives us rest. And here's what Jesus said, Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Haven't we just the greatest saviour? Haven't we just got the greatest person to come and to take that weight off us and to bring us into yoke with himself? You know, this word yoke <coughs> was a word that was used by the rabbis. When somebody was going to learn to you know to, to learn from the rabbi about the Jewish Jewish faith. The rabbis talked about getting into yoke with him. And so Jesus, as a, a human rabbi, was saying, come on, get, it's, 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 I always picture it as being in like a yoke, you know the way it's like oxen are yoked together. And I often picture myself of the Lord saying, come on, just get into harness with me. Because I'll take the heavy part. I'll take the heavy part and you have the light part. And we'll pull together and I'll teach you as we go through this process. That's a great picture, isn't it? of God wanting to be in partnership or in harness with you and to take you through whatever it is that you're going through. Now, I wrote down a wee thing here. So it was a wee, um, note, a wee um, quote from the Spirit-filled Bible notes. Here's what it said. The mere hearing of the gospel is not enough. It must also be believed. The believing ones are those who enter God's rest as the unbelieving Israelites failed to do. So we need to understand that Hebrews 4 tells us that when the Israelites heard the word from God, it wasn't mixed with faith, so it didn't help them. So, you know, girls, as I speak to you this morning, you have a choice to, ha to believe what I'm saying and to put your faith in God. And if you do that, you'll go out of here today helped. You will find your emotions will get into line. You will feel much better. But if you choose not to, not to have faith and not to believe what God says, you'll go out the way you come in. Because we only, the Bible says, Hebrews 11 says that it's impossible to please God without faith. And faith is the secret ingredient. When we trust him, when we put our faith in him, that's the secret to receiving from him and receiving the rest and that feeling of peace that we're all after. That's what gets us out of the wilderness. That's what gets us into the promised place of rest that God wants to give us. And now we're going to continue to read on. We're going to look at uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12. Because not only do we have this promise of rest, but we have the word of God, which is also meant to bring us into 
God's rest. I wanted to read this to you um, from the Amplified. I've that many Bibles up here and that many things I can hardly see where I am. Here we are, verse 12. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, that's your soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. So what, what the writer is saying here is that God's word is so alive, it's God's word and it's living word. And because of that, it's an active word. It's an energizing word. When God, when you read God's word and the Holy Spirit anoints it to you, it can be so active that it can give you energy. It can energize faith in you. It can, God's word is so amazing. It's, it's alive and full of power and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's interesting that one of the names for Jesus is the word of God. Remember, it says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, about him coming, he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the names for Jesus is the Word of God. And we see in Revelations, I think it's 19, we haven't time to read it, but if you read that when you go home, I've given you the reference, you'll see there at Revelation 19, 15, I think it's 14 and 15 actually, where it talks about Jesus coming as his name being the Word of God with the sword coming out of his mouth. Because the word of God is a sword. And when the sword of the word of God speaks to you, I'll tell you, God can penetrate. And you see the things you don't even understand that's wrong with yourself. I'll tell you, his word can go right in there into that wee nook and cranny that you don't even know what's wrong with you. And the word of God can go in and do something that touches what you need touched to change the way you're feeling. And the word of God is so powerful and so full of, it's so full of energy and it's operative and it's penetrating to the very dividing line of your soul and spirit. Now that is supernatural. That is unbelievable. And it says that it reaches the deepest part of our nature. Listen to this. Exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. You see, so often we're analysing stuff. Now, is there anybody here that's like me that does a bit of self-analysis? Yeah. And you're going over it and you're thinking, you know, but God, I thought I was this and I thought I meant it that way and all that. We just, we just wreck ourselves, don't we, in trying to analyse stuff. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit is the one who analyses. He knows. In fact, we don't even have to. Sometimes it's better just to say, you know what, God, you know, because you see and you know, he, the word of God can reach and, and, and understand you in a way you don't understand yourself. And so we have the word of God to help us to press into this rest because he is always speaking to us and always wanting to get us to that place of intimacy with himself where we are at peace and at rest in him. That's what he wants and that's the kind of life that he wants you to have. And it says that, that his word is exposing and sifting and analysing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. And not only do we have the word of God to help us, but it goes on to say, not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed, naked and, defense, and defenceless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What does it mean? It means that we have God's word to help us 
to enter through and to press through into that rest. It means when we're stuck and we don't know how to get in, that God's word will help us. And that's why whenever you're in a bad place, it's really good to read some of God's word. It's really good to cry out to God, to speak to you through his word. And he will, and he'll he'll do it in all kinds of ways. And because his word is so amazing, he, he, he speaks it right into our hearts. I put a wee heading here in your notes that God sent, sends the word to our hearts. Do you believe that God sends his word into your heart? Doesn't he? And he does it in the most amazing ways and the most creative ways. Maybe somebody will just speak to you or maybe you'll just hear somebody speaking or hear a message or read it. But he sends his word specifically. And I wanted to really emphasize this to you that God takes responsibility to send his word to you, but you've got to receive it. You've got to believe it. That's your part. And and there's a couple of references here that I thought were really good. Psalm 147, verse 15, it says that God sends forth his commands to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. And I love the fact that God sends out his word, sends out his commands, and it runs swiftly to your heart and to mine because God wants to connect with you. And he wants to connect with me. And then this most amazing verse in Psalm 68 verse 11. Here's what it says. The Lord gives the word of power. Now I'm reading from the Amplified. Because if you're reading in the ordinary, um, or if you're reading in any other translation apart from the Amplified, there's a wee bit here that that you won't have. So I'm going to surprise you. Because I don't think maybe you've realised this. Do you know what it says in the Amplified? Which is a fuller fuller and probably more accurate translation, bringing in the fuller meaning of the Greek. Here's what it means in the Amplified. The Lord gives the word of power. The women who bear and publish the news are a great host. Have you ever realised that before? To women. God loves women. When Jesus came, he was surrounded by women who loved him. When he rose from the dead, Who did he send to publish the good news? A woman. And here we are today, and we need to know that we have a job to do, girls. Because you know what? We're real good at spreading the word. We have a real natural knack for it. Don't you think so? We have a real natural way. We just get it out there. It comes easy. And God wants us to be to know that we are a mighty host across this planet. And boys, he wants us to get going. I tell you, we have something to gossip about in a good sense. We have something to pass on. And I believe God wants us to know that. And you see, nothing in our life is, uh, is unknown to God. He knows you better than yourself. And he sends, your word, sends his word to your heart so that you can be blessed. And that you can go on then and you can bring that word to somebody else and bless them. It's a kind of an ongoing thing. And God, and, and, you know, it happened in the prayer room this morning because Jill reminded Marion of a word that Marion had given her months ago and now Jill was reminding the same word back to Marion again as an encouragement. And that's what happens. It's to and fro. His word is active. It's living. It's being passed around. And God wants us to get excited about it because his word is powerful. And it changes lives and it brings us right into his presence. So that's the first let us. Let us be diligent to enter into that rest. And if you're not saved today, you need to be diligent to make that choice, to, to choose, to, to get salvation and enter into God's rest of forgiveness. 
And if you are saved and you've got a problem, then you need to enter that rest to trust him to take care of the problem and you'll find there's a rest and there's a place where you can actually have joy even though things aren't the way you want them at the moment. The second let us is, let us hold fast our confession of what we believe. And there's a couple of verses here as well. And I think I'm going to read from the Amplified in this as well. So we're looking at verses 14 to 15. And here's what it says. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest. Now this is the introduction of the great high priest idea. We'll not be able to touch on this a lot today. But you see over the weeks to come, we're going to look back at some of the Old Testament stuff and see some stuff about what the high priests were like in the Old Testament that I believe. Look, don't kind of turn up and think, oh, this is getting into heavy stuff now. I'm not going to enjoy this. When you see some of the stuff from the Old Testament about the high priests, you're going to be thrilled because it's going to show you more about what Jesus is like. So it says, we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathise and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation. But we have one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Now we'll just stop there for a wee moment. Because I want to really encourage you about this one. Because not only does God want us to enter into that place of rest, but he's also saying here, let us hold fast our confession, our confession of what we believe, or as the Amplified says, let us hold fast our confession of faith in God. Now, you need to, you need to be reminded, and I need to be reminded, of the power of confession. Remember uh, Romans 10 and 9. We used to sing the week chorus, Romans 10 and 9 is a favourite verse of mine. Uh, anybody know that remember and uh, yeah and and we used to sing that in sunday school and uh, you see it says that we confess with our mouth jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that christ is risen from the dead we shall be saved so there is power in confession even for salvation we have to speak it out we've got to confess that jesus has saved us that he's our lord there's power in what we confess and, and, and Proverbs 18 verse 21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if you confess negative things, you're going to feel negatively. And I'm sorry, I know I'm just jumping onto my old hobby horse. Did you see me jumping onto this back there? I'm, I'm back on my old hobby horse. But I have proved over these years that uh, when we start to speak negatively, we'll begin to feel neg negatively. Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I believe this is very, very powerful. That this says, let us hold fast our confession we need to keep speaking it out we need to continue to confess that jesus has paid for our sins we need to continue to confess that he is able to do more abundantly and above anything we'd ever imagine or think we need to continue to confess that and speak out what we believe and god wants us to do that that's a practical thing that he wants us to do and I think it's very interesting that he speaks to us about this, about confessing our faith. And he speaks to us in the context of Jesus being our high priest. 
And he reminds us that Jesus has passed through the heavens. Now what does that mean? It means, do you remember whenever Jesus left this earth after he died for our sins and he passed through the heavens to go up into his father, I believe he went through with a great train of victory. All the Old Testament saints behind him, a huge train of victory, came right into heaven. They were waiting for celebrations as he came through. He had, he had paid the price for humanity's sin and, and all heaven was waiting for celebration as he entered. He went through the heavens to go into the presence of God and that's where he is right now. And because he has, he has paid the price for our sin, because he has done what the Old Testament high priests did, remember the Old Testament high priests, they went in and out, they, they actually could only go into God's presence once a year, into the holy place once a year. And they had to go through into the from the beginning through the door of the tabernacle, through the holy place, and then right through into the holiest of all. And they could only go into the holiest of all once a year. That was where God dwelt. So the, the human high priest could only enter once a year. And he had to pass through. But Jesus has passed through not just the picture of heaven, not just the tabernacle, but he went through the real thing. He's gone right through the heavens and up in it. He's permanently with his Father. He's permanently dwelling with God. So that's the kind of high priest we have. One who is sitting in heaven, speaking on our behalf, having sacrificed his own blood for our sins. He was a sacrifice as well as a high priest. And he's now sitting in the in the holiest of all, he's sitting in heaven with his father. The job's done. It's all over. No more work. And these human high priests, all they could do was, was pass through like the symbol of heaven. They went through the tabernacle and they passed through. And only once a year they could dip in. They brought the sacrifice of animals. And when they came out, they were able to tell the people, your sins have been, God has accepted. They, they spoke to God on behalf of the people. And when they came out from God, they spoke to the people on behalf of God. And they were able to say, well, your sins have been atoned for for another year until the high priest would go in the next year. But there was this constant thing. It was always ongoing. They never had the assurance that it was once and for all. And here we are. We have a high priest who has actually gone through and he's finished it once and for all. And that's the amazing thing about entering in about having confession of what we believe. And I believe that God wants us to understand that we can speak it out and we can confess that our sins been dealt with. We can confess before man. We can speak out the confession of faith that we believe what God says because Jesus is sitting in heaven now and he's representing us in heaven. He is our high priest. Therefore, we can, have, we can speak it out in confidence. We can confess that we believe in him. We have a different confession to what the Jews had because they were only looking to a human being who could only go in once a year. And I think it's fascinating that God has, by his Holy Spirit, has actually used the illustration of the high priest at this point where he wants us to hold fast our confession of faith in him. Because we do not, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to understand and sympathize. You see, here's the thing. The high priests, uh, in the Old Testament high priests, they were, they were just ordinary men. And whilst they could have sympathy for the people, because after all, they were human themselves. So when somebody slipped up and made a terrible mistake, they could have a certain amount of sympathy because they too were human. But the problem was that, that these high priests had their own sin. They were helping the people, but they had sinned themselves. 
and they could understand to a certain level but but they were still sinners themselves and they were going to die but actually the high priest that we have jesus our messiah he is different because he has sympathy for you and me and he understands how we feel yet he has never sinned and we're going to read another few verses in a moment and we're going to see that he knows the price he knows what it's like to live in this world and struggle against sin we need to understand that he struggled against sin that he suffered and knows what it's like to be a human being and that's why that is why that he can understand and give us a sympathy in a way that no human high priest could ever give us and i want to read it to you i'm going to read it to you out of the new living translation because i think uh, i lost the place because i dropped it but i'm going to find it now so you just bear with me whilst i find it here um, I thought it was all organised, but uh, you just have to drop it and you've lost your place. So we're finding the place now, and I want to read this to you out of this translation, because I think it makes it more simple, and I think you'll appreciate it. Here's what it says. Every high priest is a, is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings. In their dealings with God. He, he presents their gifts to God and offer sacrifices for their sins and he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses that's the ordinary priest that is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as for others and no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor he must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was remember it was the Aaron coming from the family of Levites they were all called to be priests in the Old Testament. That is why Christ did not honour himself by assuming he could become a high priest. So he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And another passage God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Now here's the bit. Whilst Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Remember that Jesus became sin for us. He was the one who knew no sin, but he, he took our sins upon himself. So he suffered, the, the, he suffered that struggle to, that he was, had to be pure if he was going to suffer for our sins. And he was the sinless son of God. And it says God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And even though Jesus was God's son, listen to this, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest to the order of Melchizedek. Forget the Melchizedek thing for a minute. Do you know what that's saying? It's saying that because Jesus went through the struggle, do you remember he cried out to his father in Gethsemane? Do you remember he cried with strong tears? Father, if it be possible, pass this cup from me. Because he knows what it's like to be a real human being and at the same time to be God. Because he knows what it's like for you and me to struggle with our sin. Because he learned, now God knows everything. But Jesus, because he went through the experience as a real man, he learned it experientially. He knew it beforehand. But this scripture is saying that he learned what it meant to be human and the struggles that you and I go through. He learned it because he experienced it in a human body. 
And because of that, he has become the perfect high priest, the perfect man to stand between you and, and you and me and Father God. That he stands to represent us to his father and to re- represent his father to us. Now, I would love you to catch this today because whenever you're struggling and whenever you really slip up and you're making a terrible mistake, Jesus, as your high priest, the high priest's job in many ways, not only did they bring the sacrifices and Jesus paid the price to be your sacrifice, but the high priest was the go-between. Like a solicitor is a go-between. And you make the slip up and you let yourself down and you're all annoyed and, and up in heaven, Jesus, as your high priest, he's representing you to the Father. And he said, Father, I paid for that. Father, that's paid for. And God the Father says, that's right. That's right. And so you and I are free of that. Because he's spoken on our behalf. And, and then whenever the word of God comes and you feel God's word speaking to your heart, that's him speaking to you from the Father. Do you see how he's fulfilling the Old Testament high priestly role? He brought the sacrifices like the old priests. But a sacrifice was himself. And it's a priest, it says he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now we in a few weeks' time, maybe in the new year, we'll be looking at Melchizedek and we'll be looking at linking him up with Abraham. And boys are dare, don't don't turn off because it's so exciting that story of Abraham and Melchizedek is amazing. And it's it gives us wonderful insights to Jesus. But the one thing that's mentioned here is one thing about Melchizedek was he's a, a very strange Old Testament figure. But the one thing is, you will become a priest like Melchizedek forever. Melchizedek was a, a, a figure that lived forever. Do you know what this is saying? It's saying those, those Old Testament high priests, they did their best. They brought the sacrifices. They, they, they helped for another year to, to take away sin. But actually, they were human and they were going to die. And actually they were sinners themselves, so they had to give sacrifices for their own sin. But now, because of what Jesus Christ has done, now you have a high priest who is actually in heaven on a permanent basis, who's going to be there forever, who's going to live forever, just the way you're going to live forever. And that now you have someone there speaking up for you. The price for your sin has been paid. There's nothing more can be done. It's been paid for. Don't you dare try to pay for it yourself, because you couldn't. It's been paid for. Just receive that by faith. Believe it. And when you accept that you're saved and your sin has been paid for, at the moment of salvation, your sin is paid for past, present and future. It's not just up until you were saved. Past, present and future. It's paid for. It's done. And your high priest is up there. And you know what? He's the one that wants to help you. And it says on the last lettuce of this morning, uh, three lettuces here. Not in the garden, (laughs) but three lettuces. And here's the last one. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Now listen, why would we not come boldly to the throne of grace when we know that we have a high priest who's given his own life for us? When we know that he's standing in heaven and he's saying, come on, come boldly, come to me. I want to help you. I want to give you mercy and help. What what does mercy mean? Mercy means he holds back what you deserve. Many of the time we do stuff and actually we deserve a lot of repercussions. But you know, he has mercy on us. He can hold back. He's a God who is merciful. And then he says, not only come to me for mercy, but come to me for grace. What's grace? Grace is the opposite. Grace is pouring out what you don't deserve. And God can pour grace over your life and give you things that you, that you know you don't deserve. But he wants to pour it over you because he loves you. You see, we have an amazing God. And today I believe that God wants us to, to listen to these three letters. I believe he wants us to enter in to a place of rest in him. I believe he wants us to, 
to stop our doubting. I believe he wants us to know that we are his daughters, that he loves us, that he has invested in us, that he has plans for us. And I believe that he wants us to enter into that place of believing that those plans are real. And he's going to bring them about. Now I want to read you something here. And then Jane's going to run like a madwoman up to get this phone from me. But um, I'm not like a madwoman. She's not a madwoman. Oh, flip me. Where is this anyway? Let me see. Where did I have it? Um, yes, okay. I think I have it here somewhere. I thought I had this all set up. But of course, that didn't always happen. Just a wee minute. I'll have to find it here. Uh, I read this in the prayer room. And we just felt it was something we needed to read out this morning. <clears throat> okay. Here's what it says. I believe this is a message for all of us this morning. Are you ready for this? Get yourselves ready. <laughs> Dear daughter, how's it going? How have you been? I wanted to chat. There's a few things I've seen. I see you question who you are and what you'll do. But my dearest treasure... I have never doubted you. You know, God preach. He looks at you and he says, you know what? I, don't you doubt me. But he's looking at you and he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to doubt you. I'm going to trust that you'll believe me, that you'll enter into the rest. Dear daughter, I watch you worry and I take in your tears. I see your hurts and I feel your fears. My darling, stop set settling for less than my best. Haven't you realised you're not like the rest. You fill your schedules with people to see and places to go. But sweetheart, what happened to letting me lead the show? Dear daughter, let me remind you, my love has found you. Don't be afraid. Don't let hope fade. In the heartbreak, in your mistakes, nothing can separate you from my love. So forget the lies you've heard. Rise above the hurt and listen to these words. You were planned in my book. You were not just a fluke. You are essential, not accidental. You are imperative, not comparative. You are your highness. You are not some midlife crisis. You are required. You're not retired. You are specified, not disqualified. You are vital for revival. This is the real thing, honey. No recital. I'm not doing a rewrite. It's time to get up and fight. So, shoulders back, head held high. It's time to raise our battle cry. Daughter, it's time to see, your, to see you soar. So grab your sword. We're going to war. So straighten your crown and forget about your knight. Forget about your knight. K-N-I-G-H-T. The boy on the shining armour that you think might be coming. Don't worry too much about him. Dear daughter, don't you see you've already won? You're the very reason I sent my son. So sweetheart, please don't question who you are and what you'll do. Because beloved, I will never doubt you. See, God wants you to grasp it that he loves you. He wants you to grasp it that he has plans for you. He wants you to enter into his promises. He wants you to believe that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you would ever imagine. God wants you to enter into his rest. He wants you to believe him. 
and he wants you to enjoy him. And we're going to sing a song in a moment, and I would love that we could stand and sing this song. Uh, it might be good, even as we're singing this song, uh, I noticed last week that you came up for prayer whilst the song was playing, and you know, that's, I, just, on this, on the, I listened to the CD and it sounded so lovely. And I just had this thought, you know, just to leave it free, that if you want to come up whilst we're singing this song, just come up to the front. We'll just pray, bring the prayer ministry team up and we'll stand at the front. Not that we can do anything, but we can point you to somebody who can. And we can stand in the gap because uh, the amazing thing is that we are actually called to be priests ourselves. Isn't that amazing? That we are kings and, and, and priests. And that we can stand and we can we can talk to God on your behalf as well. So we'd just love you to stand and we're going to sing Before the Throne of God Above. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. <laughs> 